you are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. Solo show today. This is the solo in between uh, guest host shows. I hope everyone enjoyed Caleb on the show yesterday and is looking forward to Pat tomorrow. What are we going to talk about? As promised, I'm going to talk about why the Mets are not the villains people are making me out to be and why the Red Sox are and why all of this matters to the Indians. I'm going to talk about the win today uh, that occurred. And then I'm also, we'll just see what we have time wise. Maybe talk about a few prospects in addition. But let's start out by explaining this draft stuff. So the deadline did pass. I think I did mention the Indians last second added Jake Miller. Uh, His $300,000 signing bonus was rather significant for them. But in the grand scheme, the big story, of course, was Kumar Rocker was not signed. Now, everyone got mad at the Mets, and I understand why. And I got very, very mad at the Astros years ago when they did that. And then I thought that, like, the Atlanta Braves were being unfair to Carter Stewart when they did that. And in both those cases, what happens is uh, if you don't submit an MRI, a team doesn't have to offer you a contract. And the Mets did not offer one to Kumar Rocker once they saw the MRI. And typically that means that it's not like Tommy John. It's something worse. There's something there that a team uh, thinks could be career-threatening or shortening, like with Brady Aiken, where they looked at his elbow and thought that Tommy John wasn't going to completely fix everything there, and they ended up being right. And who did the Astros get because they passed on Brady Aiken and got a pick the next year? They got Alex Bregman. Who did the Atlanta Braves get for passing on Carter Stewart? They got Shea Langoliers. Uh, at the end of the day with this, yeah, it stinks for Kumar Rocker. He's also going to make more to the changes in college football rules and the ability to profit over his likeness than I'll make in the next 10 years as a teacher. So yeah, it's not ideal. But the, the other problem, it's like people talk about this idea of, well, he should be a free agent. Then you just have guys putting, you know, impossible signing bonus demands to get the free agency. Uh, I understand MLBs, uh, they're never going to allow that. And I don't know how you get there outside of saying all MRIs must be part of the process because then there's no cop out with it. If everyone can see it, everyone knows it. And hiding the MRI, I know uh, Boris came out and said that, it, it, you know, no, the MRI is fine. He'll pitch. Brady Aiken went to a Juco and pitched uh, about for a month, did not look like the same guy. Then he needed Tommy John surgery. Uh, Things you can make that case, and and Rocker might pitch next year, but we'll see what happens when another team sees his MRI. Uh, And the Mets, they set up their whole draft. And this is the problem when there's only 20 rounds and not 30. You know, if they were a team that, you know, maybe in the 21st round, they draft a guy. I'm trying to think who was still left on the board. Some of the bigger names we had seen, uh, you know, the Padres took Gage Jump, Will Taylor got drafted. I would have to really sit down, dig in, and see who was left. But if they had taken someone in like the 21st, 22nd, 23rd round, like in a traditional draft, they could have then taken the $1.5 million they did not spend this year because they took a bunch of senior signs to have extra money to sign Kumar Rocker and reassigned it. They could have moved it along, and that's what really hurt them. 
but they drafted Rocker with the intent to sign him. They made the entire draft about signing him. There was something in that MRI that spooked them enough to back away. That's not what you do if it's a Tommy John. It's not what you do if it's a small issue. Something spooked them bad enough to essentially shred their entire draft class because that is what they had already done in getting the money to get Rocker, which is the complete opposite of what the Boston Red Sox did, which was Jude Fabian told them how much it would take to sign him. The Red Sox drafted him and then never made any attempt to get that money to sign him. Uh, Jude Fabian's uncle liked a bunch of tweets I had about how the Red Sox were the team who had done the dirtiest to any player. Uh, It's very clear that the family is very upset with the Red Sox. Jude Fabian, you know, came out, uh, had a $3 million offer from the Baltimore Orioles. So the Red Sox refused to meet the $3 million demand, which is in and of itself, players place demands, teams know what it is, and that's how this whole process works. But one has to wonder, did they just decide to block the division rival? I mean, that would be hurting yourself to hurt them. I don't know if you really gain that much when you're losing a high second round pick yourself that way. Uh, You're better off just taking someone you can sign. But they made no attempt again to get to his demands. They drafted uh, Nathan Hickey, I think was in the fourth round, and then gave him the highest bonus ever to a fourth round pick, well over a million dollars. They essentially drafted Jude Fabian and said, you can take what we're offering or you can go back to school. Jude Fabian is still only 20 years old. He will not be 21 till the end of September, so he's not like he's a senior-aged player. It's not like even next year he would be a senior-aged player. He's always been incredibly young for his class. It's just kind of a jerk move by the Red Sox all around. If you're not going to meet the demand, you don't draft the guy. And that's how it's been since the slotting system has happened. So the Mets are getting all the publicity because Kumar Rocker is arguably the biggest name in college baseball and the whole medical situation. But they tried. They legitimately tried with him. Uh, the Boston Red Sox, on the other hand, ignored uh, what the player was asking for and drafted the player almost a hopefully, I guess, in their mind, forced his hand to take less money with the worst case scenario being, hey, at least he now does not go to a division rival. It's a silly move. The only other top 10 round pick, Alex Ulelo, uh, whose name I probably butchered, was the Houston Astros. They're second selection. Tyler Whitaker was their first. Wasn't a whole lot there. Not a whole lot I can get into on why he didn't sign. It was really hard to track down anything in general. So those are your three guys. And while the Mets are the story in most places, the Mets are the team that everyone is blaming and getting mad at. The Mets went in with the right expectation. They were not bad actors or bad faith actors. The team that was the bad faith actor in this case was the Boston Red Sox, who drafted a player they had no intention of signing. And how that goes back to the Indians is the Indians haven't done that. But agents know and players know. Another thing I tweeted out this week was, you know, Kale Emersoff hit his seventh home run of the year. And I just tweeted out, like, the Kansas City Royals got him as an undrafted free agent last year when there's only six rounds because everyone knew that the Kansas City Royals were taking care of their players. They were taking care of their minor league players, and that stuff gets around and that matters. Uh, Kale Emersoff liked that tweet, showing that that is indeed the case. So when players find out that the Red Sox are doing something like that, it's going to hurt them. Uh, I mean, players are always going to sign for whoever gives them the most money, but being a bad faith actor, refusing to listen to a player's demand, it's not the approach. And I can say, in all my ear sucking, two agents 
the Indians sometimes will just call and say, this is what we have. Does a player take it? Often, if they like a player enough, they figure out a way to get there, uh, much like they did with Jake Miller with that 300000 and and having the extra money to spend. But I also feel like the Jake Miller pick being their final selection was also going, okay, we've got about 300000 Let's start calling people and seeing who will take it. And Jake Miller is who they got, who's a very interesting pitcher from San Diego. I'm not saying that that's a bad signing. It's actually a great signing for them. But yeah, that's that's kind of the end of the draft drama. We won't have too much else to talk about with draft picks until the uh, inevitable cuts come. The Indians will have to cut 21 players from their 180 players currently on their minor league roster to add the 21 players they drafted in this year's class. So we're going to take a quick sponsor break and then come back and talk about the win today. And our sponsor today is Wild Alaskan. We all know sh- we all know we should be eating more fish to get our omega threes and protein. But the seafood counter can be intimidating. Which fish tastes the best? What type of cut? Can you really be sure about the quality? Wild Alaskan takes the guesswork out of buying wild caught seafood. You're used to having a lot of choices when it comes to what you eat, but it matters where your f- food comes from. Get your nutrition from nature. The Wild Alaskan Company sources wild caught seafood from Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Do you love to order fish when you go out to eat but never make it yourself at home? Cooking restaurant-quality dishes at home starts with high-quality seafood and simple techniques from Wild Alaskan Seafood. Yet, when you order from Wild Alaskan, you're going to get something that you can feel good about ordering because it's all sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood, high-quality delivered to your door. You can choose between salmon, whitefish, or a combination, and every month there are different specials to explore. Every individual portion is wrapped and ready and easy to cook. And right now, you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskan.com MLB. That's wildalaskan.com MLB for $15 off your first box. The Indians win today, or by the time you're listening, yesterday. 5-2 uh, win. Loser, old friend alert, Brad Hand. I mean, he owed us a few of those, right? Brian Shaw's your winner, Emmanuel Classe with your save. The Indians had five runs on nine hits. They got five of those runs in extras, the 10th inning. Zero errors for them. Toronto had two runs on six hits and had two errors themselves in this one. Where should we start? There's so many angles and stories to take with this game, but I think you have to start out talking about Eli Morgan. So I did some digging, and you might have seen these tweets from me earlier on uh, Twitter, but... Since Eli Morgan has been called up, he has not allowed more than four runs in a game. And since uh, he has not allowed four runs in a game since June. So he's been on quite the run. His average runs per month were six in May, 3.7 in June, three in July, and two in August. Now, noticeably, May and August are very small sample sizes of one start. But the bigger thing to me here is that we're seeing him get better every month in terms of production and just confidence in how he's pitching and remember the was the Blue Jays that he faced in his first start in the big leagues they lit him up and then he just kept getting better if everyone was healthy I don't know what the rotation would be do you go with a six-man rotation do you worry with some of McKenzie's inconsistencies does he get a different role I don't know but I feel like right now of late the Indians three most consistent pitchers are Plesak, Quantrell, and Morgan uh, it's going to be a while. I mean, Savali is probably not going to be back to the end of the month. We'll see if Bieber's even back this month, let's be honest. But you do have to feel a little bit better right now when you're looking at what Morgan has continued to do. 
and what Quantrell has continued to do uh, for this team going forward. So let's talk about the rest of the other components in this game. So Miles Straw had his 18th stolen base. Ahmed Rosario had two. I was trying to remember the last time they had three stolen bases in a game. Who reached base twice? Well, everyone at the top of the order. Two hits for Straw, three hits and a walk for Rosario. Jose Ramirez had two hits, one of those a home run. And then you also had Owen Miller with two walks in the game to reach base twice. Rest of the lineup, we'll just kind of roll over and not talk about. When we when I do my thing where I just compile, so Indians had four walks and nine hits and a hit batter, so they had 14 plus the two errors, 16 potential uh, run scoring opportunities. Toronto, six and three, they only had nine. So the Indians were on base, you know, more often and getting out there that just always gives you more chances for success. It was kind of humorous from the perspective too that Hand and Simber were both pitching in this one for the Toronto Blue Jays. And when the Indians made the trade for Hand and Simber, the thought would this year they would still both be with the Indians and part of their bullpen. This would be, you know, Hand's final year, he'd be worthy of that extension. And that Simber was, you know, a vital part of that trade as well because you had five years of team control. Simbers looked much better this year than he had the last few, but again, at least from my perspective, seeing them both appear was, it, you know, didn't necessarily make me laugh, but it, it's just interesting because they were supposed to do this for the Indians. It didn't work out. Straw at the top of the lineup, uh, you know, make all the bad puns or use all the old expressions of being the straw that stirs the drink and the like. Uh, Ahmed Rosario... You know, I saw someone commenting that he hasn't hit this well in weeks. He must be feeling a little bit of pressure. I don't know if that's the case, but certainly a strong game by him. Uh, overall, I mean, the top of the lineup looks much better. Uh, yeah, Jose Ramirez is not having a typical Jose Ramirez year. Uh, the power is great. Don't get me wrong. He's still having a great year, but he's not going to finish top five in the MVP like he has three of the last four years. Uh, Fran Mil Reyes... One walk in this one did score a run. He can't hit a home run every game. So you'll take what he did. Uh, Harold Ramirez, we continue to see a bit of a drop-off. Mercado hasn't really shown me a whole lot. And, you know, Hedges, Clement, that is, uh, that's never going to be ideal. Uh, Bobby Bradley did get a pinch-hitting opportunity. And if you were guessing, if you didn't watch the game, yes, indeed, he did strike out. So let's talk about the 10th. So this is kind of crazy. So you end, it, it starts perfectly, right? Miles Straw on second base, Rosario up. It means Jose Ramirez is your second batter up. That's what you want. Wild pitch, so Straw goes to third. Rosario gets a single to score Straw. Then Ramirez hits the home run. So if you were missing it at home, uh, that's how it played out. And I don't know about anyone else, but it, it felt like the Indians hadn't won a extra inning game in quite a long time. It was nice to see that. And then it was nice to follow that up with a clean inning with by Class A to get the save. Uh, for all of our talk yesterday about the issues with the bullpen and James Karinchok and the like, you know, Karinchok, Sandlin, Sean, Class A are the four arms they've kind of relied on in the back part of the pen. All four came out and pitched well. Karen Chalk allowed one walk at a strikeout. Shaw or, uh, Sandlin was next, allowing one hit. And then Shaw with one walk and two strikeouts. And like I said, a clean inning for Class A. 
Morgan's final line was six innings, five hits, two runs, one walk, nine strikeouts, a home run. You know what I'm curious about? Has he gone a game without giving up a home run? And that answer would be no. Every single game, uh, Morgan has given up at least one home run. And it's probably always going to be that way. There is definitely some Josh Tomlin vibes with him, but Josh Tomlin didn't have any plus pitches, whereas Morgan's changeup is a 70-grade pitch. You know, it's a plus-plus pitch. And that gives him a bit of an advantage over the Tomlin type of typical vibe. But I think he's going to more than likely be more of a five, six inning guy, probably around the three to four runs, just because if you're giving up one, at least one home run a game, you're going to run into some problems here or there. Overall, again, very happy with Morgan's performance, your players of the game. I mean, it starts pretty easily with Morgan and Jose Ramirez and then Ahmed Rosario reached base three times, had a, uh, two stolen bases, and uh, also had the walk. So your three stars in this one line up pretty easily for the Cleveland Indians. I did not have high expectations going into this one, if I'm being perfectly honest. You know, the Blue Jays are a team that were all in at the deadline, trade away significant capital, and the Indians, they didn't, they got... I'm heeing and hawing. It's like Straw versus Hernandez. It's like loss of Mayton. Like they're probably worse, you know, overall. But it's not a huge decline uh, when you're considering that. I don't even uh, consider Eddie Rosario as part of that equation. So I had to take a second there and double check. Roster resources projected starter is all a mess. Uh, tomorrow it's Plesak on the mound for the Indians against uh, Jin Ryu. Now, Rio is one of those players. It's it's almost like the curse of the American League Cy Young at this point. He's having a solid year, not as good as a year ago. Kenta Maeda, solid year, not as good as a year ago. Shane Bieber hurt. Uh, if you want to call it a curse, I wouldn't argue with you. But in that match, so we've got that is the Tuesday matchup. Your Wednesday matchup is Mejia versus Mats. Thursday, McKenzie versus Ross Stripling. We'll see how it goes for the Indians in this series. Pick them in any of those matchups just based on pitching, and we know that Toronto has the better offense. So, you know, if they win one game in the series, which they've already done, I probably would have been happy with that. We'll see how it goes the rest of the way forward for them, but this is a very tough Blue Jays team. I have not even looked at wild card standings in a while, but again, you know, they went out. We're lucky in one regard that we don't have to face Jose Berrios as Indians fans. Uh, he always felt like he had the Indians Dumbronies with the Twins. In terms of the wild card, Boston has lost four in a row to cause that. So Boston and Oakland are currently your two wild card teams. Yankees are three back. The Mariners are three back. The Mariners are four back. And or did I say the Mariners? I meant to say the Blue Jays are four back. Cleveland Indians are six games back. Uh, Blue Jays are weird. They have a plus 104 run differential. And to be where they are in the standings is almost unheard of. Uh, you know, run differential is typically a great little indicator stat. Shows, you know, the teams that are good. At the same time you go over and you look at the National League where the Braves have the best in their division in their third. But almost every other division, you know, the top teams are the ones who have the better run differential. The other odd one, I guess, is the Miami Marlins who are plus one, but bottom of their division. Uh, you know, it's not perfect, but it's one of those things you can look at as kind of a quick check. And see, you know, the Indians, or the Indians, the American League Central doesn't quite line up in that order. 
because the Royals should be at the bottom, but everyone else in the division line is lined up with that run differential. Again, I, I don't have much hope for the Indians making the wild card, but I think at the beginning of the year, we would all agree if you told me that the Indians would have the youngest team in baseball, it would get younger at midseason, it would lose one of its two most reliable hitters for a month and a half, and lose three of their best starters for over a month each, I would expect them to be bottom five team in baseball, not to be where they are. Now, some of you might prefer if they were bottom five team, because uh, even though most people don't follow the draft, the thought of a high draft pick is always interesting. And I'm going to talk about a theory I have in the third segment of the show about the draft. But first, time for another quick commercial break. I have spent many a time talking about rockauto.com right here on this very show. If you're a do-it-yourselfer, you want to owe it to yourself to go to rockauto.com and find the parts and pieces you need for your car. You can pick the brand, the model, the make, anything you need they have. And since they have one central location, they're going to pass those savings on to you, the consumer. And if you're like me and you're not a do-it-yourselfer, it's just a great way to make sure you're getting a good price on your car when you have to take it in. So for do-it-yourselfers, it's great. For people who aren't, it's also great. Remember to go to rockauto.com, and if you do buy something there, in the How'd You Hear About Us box, you want to say Locked On, Locked On MLB, Locked On Indians with Jeff Ellis, whatever you put to let them know that it was Locked On that sent you, because that helps us, and we're helping you by sending you there, so help us by mentioning us. Remember, that's rockauto.com. It's going to save you money. Our other sponsor is betonline.ag, our official sponsor for all things gambling and gambling-related. So let's go to BetOnline and see what the line is for tomorrow's game. I am 100% willing to gamble that the uh, the Indians are getting the run and a half in the matchup tomorrow. They are. <laughs> Should not be a surprise. Uh, money line plus 177 for the Indians, over under at 8.5. Hmm, that's what I want to bet the over or the under. I, I th- I'm thinking the under tomorrow, but I'm not entirely sure. If you disagree with me, or if you agree with me, you can go over to betonline.ag, promo code Locked On. That gets you a 50% bonus on your first deposit. It's free money to play with over there. Go check it out for yourself. Right now, I can see straight parlay teaser if bets, all sorts of information. You can have the Olympics now. In addition, if you're someone who's loving that, go to betonline.ag. Check it out. Go uh, remember to use our promo code to get the best deal for yourself. That is BetOnline, promo code locked on. So this Rule 5 situation gets gets nuttier all the time if you're a Cleveland Indians fan. Because, you know, we talked about how when it began, Richie Palacios was a maybe for me, and, like, Will Benson was a definitely no. I don't know. Will Benson has kind of evened out a bit. Palacios is a definitely on. But then you have other guys popping up. So, like, Steve Kwan was hurt for part of this year, and he's, it's only 28 games. But so far this year, he's got a 9% walk rate, a 9.1% strikeout rate. But he's also got three home runs, an ISO of 198, runs created plus an accurate of 143, 321 average, 387 on base, 519 slugging. Primarily, a center fielder can play all three spots. Oh, okay. Well, you know, Steve Kwan's been uh, a rated prospect for the Indians pretty much from the moment he's been drafted. That adds a, a certain amount of like, okay, what do you do? And, you know, I talked about before, 
you can kind of look at the moves. Like, we knew they were going to add Rakoya. We know they're going to add Valera. We know they're going to add Freeman. Those are the no-brainers. But when you promote Brian Levestida to AA, that means you're adding him. When you promote Richie Palacios to Palacios to AAA, that means you're adding him. So you can start to see how it's going to come together. Uh, huh. I didn't even realize Fangraphs did a whole 40-man crunch in the American League situation. I was over at uh, the Jonsky Noel page because I don't think they're going to add him. Let's take a second and discuss his line. 398 average, 420 on base, 717 slugging, 195 runs created plus. He is utterly obliterating baseballs down in low A. Just turned 20 on the 15th. So why would the Indians not add him, you might ask. Uh, If he's been their most, probably the best offensive performer they have in the minors. Because A, he's in low A, and I think they're going to keep him buried there. Because that hurts his chances of being selected. B, he's probably a first baseman. He plays third base. But corner infielders are the least selected position in a... uh, Rule 5 draft. So I think they're intentionally keeping him there. Same reason we've talked about like Jose Tenya. He might be one of those guys who they are intentionally keeping down there to uh, make it so they don't necessarily have to add him. Now, if you're curious, I went over and looked at the Fangraphs piece. Uh, they're must-ads. I, I mean, I agree with all of them. Ty Freeman, Brian Rocoyo, Joey Cantillo, Cody Morris, Brian Lavastida. George Valera, Richard Palacios, and their maybes, Robert Broom, Adam Scott, Aaron Bracho. It's been quite a fall for Bracho this year. Joensky Noel, Jose Tenya, Jose Fermin, Raymond Burgos. I would also add um, Francisco Perez. And then I think you have to discuss uh, Quan and Benson as well. But it's it's interesting that the must-ads at this point are everyone loves counting on air. What, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Still have to find seven roster spots before this year is done. And I will say, they, Eric Longenhagen makes a great point that Joey Cantillo, if he's hurt the whole year, might actually make him a more likely selection because teams tend to target those guys who were who missed time and have been injured. It's going to be interesting. How do you get down? How do you get seven spots open? Uh, we talked about the everything they did. You know, that was before they added Pilkington, who you don't go out and trade for a guy uh, unless you like him. So that, that gives you an easy eight must-adds. So it'll be really interesting because, I mean, they have so many outfielders right now. It's like at the, at the end of the year, Daniel Johnson, Bradley Zimmer, Harold Ramirez, uh, Oscar Mercado, that group of four, you're going to assume at least two are gone. Uh, Blake Parker is probably an easy guy to get rid of as well. One of the catchers, we'll see. There's going to be more and more, you know, Shaw, even if they want to bring him back, he'll hit free agency and open a spot for the time being. But they'll figure something out, uh, which brings me to what I was talking about earlier, something I kind of wondered about. So the Indians are in a situation where they're under a massive crunch. They have to figure something out. Like Jose Tenya, I think, would be really interesting to teams out there. Jose Fermin's been available a few times. Aaron Bracho, I feel like someone would take him. Uh, just because, you know, he's a former big money. He, he was a top 10 prospect entering the year. Has not had the best year, if we're being honest. I don't think he'll be top 10 pretty much anywhere. And if you see a listing that still has him in the top 10, that probably uh, gives you a good idea of that's probably not a listing to follow. Uh, if you're wondering what's gone on with him, well, he's got a runs created plus and high A of 63. 
He's a bat-first prospect. He's hitting 180 with the 276 on base, 312 slugging, and striking out 30% of the time. It's been bad. Uh, there's no other way to put it. It's been bad. He is. He went from slam dunk to, well, maybe not. But he's still a very interesting prospect who had done enough before this, again, to be considered one of their top 10 prospects. I had him ranked in the top 10, if I'm being honest, you know, fully diverging here. Diverging? No. Uh, that's not the word I want. <laughs> Divulging is the word I want. Uh, so what do you do? Well, you maybe see if there's a team that has a draft pick. Now, in between the end of the season and free agency, I believe you can still trade draft picks. You just can't trade draft picks when free agency is occurring because they don't basically don't want teams to trade a draft pick solely because they're going to sign a free agent, right? They don't want a team to, to sit back and think, okay, we're going to sign this guy, but first let's trade this uh, competitive bounce B pick because we can get value for it and then we'll just lose our third rounder instead. You know, something along those lines. They don't want that type of manipulation. But before rosters get set, by the end of the season, before free agency, you could see what team is not suffering from a 40 man crunch. And specifically, yeah, it'd be great to get a comp A pick. Uh, you know, if I looked at MLB draft order for this past year, you know, the next year, Specifically, the Indians are probably going to have their highest draft pick in a decade, uh, probably since they drafted Will Benson and Nolan Jones. So not a decade. That was, what, five, six years ago? But still, their highest draft pick in at least the last five years. And they're also going to have a comp competitive bounce A pick. So they're going to have two picks in the top 40. That's a lot. That That's a big deal for them. So when you go and you look at those picks, so... What team might not be under a roster crunch who would consider trading a pick uh, to maybe build up some depth in their system? What about the Milwaukee Brewers? The Brewers have traded their competitive balance pick in the past uh, for Alex Claudio, the reliever. Didn't work out great for them, but still a very weak minor league system, bottom five by most accountings. Brewers fans get really offended when I say that. <laughs> I always get feedback. And then they jump to defend them so quickly. Uh, but at the same time, it's not a strong system. Would they rather, since you know they don't have to protect as many players, because again, it's a weak minor league system, would you rather get someone further along than have a, you know, a, a second round pick that's in the 50s or 60s? Maybe. Like, it makes sense to contact the Brewers. You know, I, I don't know if you're going to run into that with necessarily the Marlins, the Tigers. You're not going to do it with Tampa because they're on crunch. Maybe the Reds because they're a team that's, you know, they're currently second in that division. They might be looking to get better sooner. And again, if you can do something where it's a Bracho for a second round pick, great. Uh, you set that clock back, and you relieve some of the pressure on that 40-man situation. And since they're going to have, like I said, their highest pick in at least the last five years, and they're going to have that comp A pick, they already have a good pool system, but if they could go out and trade for draft picks, which would not affect the 40-man in any way, it, except for opening up more spots for the Indians going forward, but if you could add some more picks, then you're just adding to your pool, and you're adding to what you can do in the draft. Like, if someone slides, let's say they, they pick the equivalent of, like, where the Marlins pick this year, you know, just to, to be completely 16th. You know, the Marlins saw 
Khalil Watson slide to them, and they had to go $4.5 million to get him. He's a great talent. That's a fantastic signing. Good on them. But when you have that extra pool system, that is not... Or you can go look at the Reds at pick 17, who had to go 4.63 to get Matt McLean. And they were able to do that because they had, you know, comp, comp B pick, and they had the Trevor Bauer compensation pick. So there's a lot to one can look at there in terms of just another way to help relieve the crunch that will be occurring for the Cleveland Indians. I mean, heck, maybe there's the right deal where you can get Colorado's comp A round pick because they're just a disaster. And if they don't switch over their front office, whoever's in charge there definitely wants reinforcements to get there sooner rather than later. Uh, Again, I'm not saying trade Brian Riccoia. I'm not saying trade George Valera. I'm not saying trade any of the big names. But if you could do something that involves, you know, Aaron Bracho and Steve Kwan and get yourself a, a comp B pick, go for it. If you can figure out a way to do uh, the right combination, if you can trade three guys and get Colorado's first rounder, go for it. Because again, the whole thing in this situation is it's better. Yes, you are definitely losing in this case where it's more the risk of loss in the Rule 5, but even outside observers are commenting on the Indian situation, so hopefully they'll do something. This is just another way to look at it, something that hit me today and I wanted to talk about on the show. Maybe trading for draft picks. Really try to build up a huge pool, and then next year's draft could be one of those that's a generational draft if you have the capital to do that. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked on Indians podcast. The next year, go Guardi- go Indians. After that, go Guardians.